0: Greetings to all of you. I want to welcome all of us at Tennis Street Church, those of us here at Center Campus, as well as those joining us from our campus in Spa Ridgeland, Airdrie, and South Calgary. I also want to welcome our online viewers as well. Uh, wasn't our Christmas production last weekend exceptional? Yeah, praise God for that. I hope you were blessed by that experience. Uh, continuing on the same theme, We are calling our Advent Sermon Series, A Thrill of Hope. There's a popular quote on hope. I don't know where it came from or who said it, but there's a lot of truth in these words. Listen to this. Human beings can live for 40 days without food, four days without water, and four minutes without air, but we cannot live for four seconds without hope. Hope is essential for life. When times are tough, when everything seems to be dark and gloomy, when the future is uncertain, when plans simply fall through, what keeps us going is hope. When you're in an environment of despair and hopelessness for a long time, it takes its toll on you. It affects you more than you realize. It sucks the very life out of you. Now, hope is not wishful thinking or naive optimism. Uh, We may use the word synonymously, but there is a big difference between a wish and hope. A wish is a desire for something or a particular outcome. But biblical hope is more than a desire. It is a confident expectation that what you are hoping for is going to come true. There is an element of certainty in all of this. When you hope for something, you are counting on it. You know the end outcome, how all of this is going to pan out. It is the confident expectation and anticipation that draws a line between a wish and a hope. All hope has an object. The object of biblical hope is not just a change in circumstances or a better future, but the object of biblical hope is God himself. Biblical hope is rooted in the person of God. As you read the Christmas story, we see the, there's a question that keeps surfacing. In who is our hope? The narrative of the Christmas story in the Gospel of Luke presents a collage of voices that attest to Jesus. A wide range of people with varying social backgrounds all testify that our ultimate hope is not in the change of our circumstances, or wishing our problems go away, but true lasting hope is found in Jesus alone. Today we're gonna to look at a Christmas character, an old man, an obscure figure who shows up at just one place in the Bible. And he demonstrates to us what it means to wait confidently in hope, no matter the circumstances. Our text for today is from Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 35. And if you're physically able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and the sword will pierce your own soul too. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are in need of a, fresh infusion of hope. Considering the circumstances that we've gone through and the uncertainties that face us, we want to fix our eyes on you, Jesus, because you are the object of our hope. So come and minister to us now. Personalize this message for us. No matter what we've gone through, how we feel right now, when we leave this place, may we leave abounding in hope. And we know that this is a miracle that you alone can do. It's not in our power. So come and be with us and speak to us in the power of your spirit. We ask this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You are maybe seated. The last two years have been simply chaotic feels like a nightmare. We witnessed a prolonged season of loss, suffering, discouragement. When is this all gonna be over? As we draw closer to the end of a year, all over the world, people want one thing for Christmas. For this pandemic to come to an end, for restrictions to be removed, for normalcy, return. I've heard people say out loud, if this thing carries on any longer, I can't take it anymore. Earlier in the year, I read on the news, Japan for the very first time appointed a minister with an interesting portfolio. Considering the events of the past year, they now have a minister of loneliness to combat the problem of social isolation, and tackle the mental health crisis, because more people in the previous year have died of suicide in Japan than COVID. Well, the pandemic is affecting the quality of our life, and all of us unanimously wanna see this come to an end. But if the object of our hope is the end of a pandemic, then our hope has been misplaced if the object of our hope is for the economy to improve our health to get better our dreams to come true our relationship status to change if we pin our hope on these temporary things and make them the ultimate then clearly our hopes have been misplaced psalm 146 verse 5 reminds us blessed are those whose help is the god of jacob whose hope is in the Lord their God. Any hope that doesn't have God as its object is a misplaced hope. Misplaced hopes lead to disappointment and disillusionment. The word disappointment at its root means to fail to keep an appointment. Think about an appointment that you were eagerly looking forward to something you've been anticipating for quite a long time. And as time goes by, the date comes closer and closer, and you're still looking forward to it, and just right before the appointment gets canceled. That feeling that you have, that is disappointment. The word for disillusionment means to be free from illusion. It's when reality hits and you are stripped off the idealistic view of life. So here we are at the end of 2021. Disappointments loom large. Disillusionment has set in. And no one knows what the next year is going to be like. And perhaps more than ever... Our generation is in a place where we can relate with the people during Jesus' time who lived 2,000 years ago. That was the world Jesus was born into, a world of disappointment and disillusionment. The people in Israel at the time also lived in an environment of chaos and uncertainty. The ruthless Roman Empire dominated the face of the earth. For 400 years, Israel had no freedom. They were under one oppressive regime after another. For 400 years, they heard no word from God. There were no prophetic voices, only dead silence. There was a cry for deliverance, freedom, for shackles to be broken, But any political uprising was squished immediately by the iron hand of the Roman Empire. Almost every person in Israel 2,000 years ago were hoping for a change in circumstances, wishing for normalcy to return for restrictions to be removed. Can you identify with that? But here comes a person in our story who didn't just wish for a change in external circumstances, but he hoped for something that's far deeper. Here's a person whose hope was rooted in God and his word. We do not know much about Simeon, who he was, what was his profession. This is the only place he shows up in the scripture. But the Bible says some incredible things about Simeon's character. And his prophetic song offers a glimpse into Jesus' identity and the promise of hope that Jesus brings. So let's look at our text, beginning with verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. Simeon was a godly man. The phrase righteous and devout is used in the Bible frequently to refer to someone whose ways are pleasing in the eyes of God. And what was Simeon waiting for? What was his hope? He was waiting, our text says, for the consolation of Israel. In my study, I discovered something interesting. Interesting. The word here for consolation is the word used to refer to the ministry of the Holy Spirit as our comforter. And when you console someone, you are trying to alleviate someone's pain and sorrow. And that is why it is attributed to the tender ministry of the Holy Spirit who brings comfort and encouragement through His sheer presence. So what was Simeon hoping for? Everyone in Israel was waiting for a change in the external circumstances, for strife to be gone, for oppression to be lifted up, for temporal blessings, political freedom. And all along, Simeon wanted the comforting presence of God himself. Simeon didn't just want a blessing, He was looking for the one from whom all blessings flow. For Simeon knew, well, true comfort is not in a problem-free life, but a life that overflows with God's presence. The next verse, verse 26, says, It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Yet another confirmation in our text that Simeon was waiting to meet the Messiah. He had a promise that before the Lord would call him home, he will have a face-to-face encounter with the Lord's Messiah. We don't know how old Simeon was. It appears he was waiting for the first Christmas to come for a very long time. Mary and Joseph, along with baby Jesus, had to come to the temple in Jerusalem to offer sacrifices. As per the Old Testament laws, a woman who had given birth was considered to be ceremonially unclean and needed to offer a sacrifice in the temple on the 40th day. And the normal sacrifice would have been a lamb, but if a family was poor, then they could offer a pigeon or dove. Jesus' family, being poor, cannot afford a lamb, so they bring a couple of pigeons. And as they come to the temple, they meet Simeon. And this was the moment Simeon had been waiting for all his life. And his devotion and faithfulness serves as a model for us. God's people, all through the Bible, have been people of hope. They live with the expectation that the future that God has promised us is bright and beautiful. No matter how dark it may seem at night, the sun will rise at the stroke of dawn. We know that. In the same way, the people of God can also be people of hope. The times may be dark, and God's promises may seem far-fetched. Unrighteousness may abound, and the future may seem bleak. But it's only a matter of time before the sun of righteousness will arise with healing in its wings. Never lose sight of that. And Like Simeon, we can look forward to the unfolding of God's plans because God is always at work. Verse 27 of our text says, Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. And an important phrase there is, moved by the Spirit. But throughout the Christmas story, God is actively at work. Now, on the outside, there may not seem to be any evidence of that reality. For Caesar Augustus was still emperor of Rome. Herod was in charge of Galilee, oppressing all of its residents. Injustices abounded in the society. There's unfair taxation, religious restrictions. On the outside, it looked like a hellhole. But deep inside, when you pay attention, you see God was actively at work. There are no coincidences in the Christmas narrative. God was unfolding the plan of the ages. So the Christmas story abounds with God's activity in the lives of his people. Angelic visitations to Zechariah, Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, wise men from the east from a faraway place are guided by God. Simeon and Anna, who have been waiting for years in hope, in the confident expectation that they will have an encounter with the Messiah, they're not going to miss out. You need to know, the temple in Jerusalem was crowded all the time. This was the center of worship, and people from all over Israel came to the temple to offer their sacrifices. It was a busy place, and it was a 35-acre complex. You don't just accidentally run into some person in a big place like that. But at the precise moment when Mary and Joseph were going to the temple, Simeon is moved by the Spirit to come to the temple at the same time for a chance encounter. There is a spiritual lesson right here for us. God meets us through the regular spiritual rhythms we have established in our life, those patterns we have of connecting with God. For our text gives us some insights into the spiritual rhythms of Simeon's life. Simeon must have had the habit of coming to the temple, the house of God, on a regular basis. Simeon was a prayerful man. Our text also says he was righteous and devout and filled with the Spirit. So he lived a Spirit-filled life. And based on his song, we know Simeon was quite familiar with the Old Testament. He read his Bible. All this indicates to me the spiritual patterns of Simeon's life were rich. He goes to the house of God regularly. He reads his Bible. He prays. He's filled with the Spirit. Simeon is in tune with God, and it's not difficult for God to get the attention of someone who is in tune with him. But if you come to church once in a blue moon, if you read your Bible sporadically, if your prayer life is a hit and a miss, then you don't have the regular spiritual rhythms that'll help you to be in sync with God, to be dialed in to what he's saying to you. So establish those spiritual patterns, those spiritual rhythms in your life to keep you grounded in Christ and you will not miss out on the plans of God for your life. For at the right time, You will see the move of the Holy Spirit in your life. And what may, humanly speaking, seem like a sheer coincidence or a chance encounter is nothing but the precise execution of the plan of God for your life. So Simeon, moved by the Spirit, comes to the temple at the same time as Mary and Joseph and has an encounter with baby Jesus. Our passage tells us that Simeon takes baby Jesus in his arms and he breaks into a a song. Hear the lyrics of the song. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may not dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Simeon takes one look at baby Jesus, and he says, my eyes have seen your salvation. Jesus is not the bringer of salvation, he is salvation personified. Jesus is the salvation of God, and you don't need to look anywhere else outside of Jesus not long ago, I was talking to a man in our city, here in Calgary, who was looking for God. And this was not a casual pursuit, but a serious pursuit. He told me sometimes he would go outside in the cold weather, sit on the ground covered in snow, and meditate for hours in the night into yoga, all forms of deep meditation, reading different spiritual books, exploring every single religion in order to find God. In my conversation I told him, I truly admire your hunger and your commitment and the efforts that you're putting it to pursue God and find who He is. But all of this makes sense only if God is hiding. If God is hiding from you, then you have to work really hard in order to find who he is. And I told him, what if God is more eager to meet you than you are to find him? For that is the kind of God the Bible reveals to us. He delights in revealing himself to his people. And that spoke to his heart. For Christmas tells us that God is not hiding somewhere way up in heaven. But God has taken that initiative to come down to us. He's not hiding anymore. He has made himself visible through Jesus. So in Jesus, we see God's salvation. And that's what Israel had been waiting for all along. They had suffered so much as a nation. Years of captivity in Egypt. Decades of exile, persecution, and physical onslaughts. They had gone through a lot. But here in this baby, was the consolation of Israel, the comfort that they've been looking for all along. The fulfillment of all of the dreams and hopes of the ages. In the face of this newborn baby, Simeon saw the salvation of God. Not just for Israel, but he says for all the peoples of the world. Through the agency of Israel, God's salvation is now flowing to the nations through the coming of Christ. You now the fact that Simeon had this incredible revelation at the very birth of Jesus is stunning. But what do we see? Even in the book of Acts, the early church, after all that they had witnessed, had to work really hard to come to terms with the fact that the Messiah was not exclusively for the Jews, but he has come for all the nations. That this old man, Simeon, had such depth and spiritual insight that he grasped the significance of the universal mission of Jesus is mind-blowing. And in this baby born on Christmas Day, God infused hope into our world. all people of faith, prior to the coming of Jesus, looked forward to that event in history. And we, today, look back at this event 2,000 years ago. We receive strength from what God has done in the past, And that in turn gives us confidence that a faithful God will keep the promises for the future. True hope is in encountering Jesus in a personal way. And Simeon models it for us. Now someone listening to me might say, so if I have Jesus in my life, Can I also have hope? But what if my circumstances don't change? What if my problems don't go away? What if the darkness doesn't lift? What if this pandemic drags on for another 10 years? It better not, I'm just using it as an example. So that's a legitimate question, right? If my circumstances don't change, Can I still have hope? Now apply this to Simeon, who just made this grand statement that he has seen God's salvation in baby Jesus. And then Simeon had to return the baby to the parents, and as he walked outside to the temple courts and to the streets of Jerusalem, the external circumstances had not changed one bit. You have still seen the Roman soldiers patrolling the city. They were the poor and lame and the blind who were begging at the temple gates. The money changers were there extorting people and taking advantage of them. What difference has this encounter with Jesus made in Simeon's life that he could say, now I can die in peace? How could you make such a grand claim like that, Simeon? Some years ago, a 34-year-old construction worker was welding on the top of a a nearly completed water tower outside of Chicago. Chicago. Uh, This man, for a moment, unhooked his safety gear to reach for some pipes when a metal cage slipped and bumped the scaffolding on which he was standing. So he tipped, and the man lost his balance. This man fell 110 feet, landing face down on a pile of dirt and construction debris. Fellow workers called 911 in panic And when paramedics arrived, surprisingly, they found the man to be conscious, moving, and complaining of a sore back. No broken bones, no major injuries, just a bruised leg. And this man had miraculously escaped a 110-foot fall. And as the paramedics carried him on a backboard to the ambulance, the man had one request. Don't drop me. Please don't drop me. Dude, you just survived a 110-foot fall. You came crashing down and nothing happened to you. And you're afraid that the paramedics are going to drop you three feet from the ground? Yet, in so many ways, we are like that. We are afraid that somehow God is going to let us down in the difficult, challenging seasons of our life. And in those moments, we have to remind ourselves, through the coming of Jesus, God has taken care of the eternal problem of our sin and restored our relationship with him. And he promises us a future that is so bright and beautiful that there will be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more sickness, no more death. That's what awaits us as followers of Christ. God has taken care of the 110 foot fall. We fell face down into the arms of Jesus and we are secure. So why worry about the three feet? That somehow Jesus is going to drop you now. That somehow he's going to lose his grip over your life. Romans chapter 8, verse 32 emphatically declares. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Think about that for a moment. Let that sink in. If God was willing to part with his most prized possession to rescue you, if he allowed his only begotten son to endure the shame and agonies of the cross and die the most painful death that humans have ever come up with, if he took care of the fall of the entire human race, will he not take care of you in the now? If he has protected you from a 110 foot fall, will he drop you three feet from the ground? That's how Simeon could go home that day and rest in peace. The external circumstances had not changed one bit. But the salvation that God has provided in Jesus has taken care of the eternal future and Simeon was assured that it will take care of him in the north. So this Christmas maybe be like Simeon. May we see God's salvation in Jesus afresh. That it will fill all of our longings, all of our expectations, all of our desires and anticipations. For if our hope is in Jesus, you will not be disappointed. Jesus takes care of us in the present and he guarantees us an eternal future with him. But if we merely wish for our problems to go away, this problem that you're wrestling with may go away. but It's only a matter of time before another problem is going to knock at our door. See, we live in a fallen world. And that is why the Christmas story raises an important question. In who is our hope? All hope has an object. If your hope is in Jesus, you will not be shaken. You will have an anchor that will hold you steady. For the gospel of Jesus assures us, guarantees us, that through his coming, his incarnation, his death, and his glorious resurrection, Jesus has secured eternal salvation for all who place their faith in him. And when Jesus comes into your life, your circumstances may not change immediately. But Jesus will change how you view your circumstances. And you can be assured that you will be well taken care of both in the now and all through eternity. That's the promise of the gospel.